Turn with me, if you would, this evening to the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis and the uh, first chapter. We began some weeks ago on the subject of the moving of the Spirit. And uh, we're going to build tonight on what we've already seen. But here in Genesis, the very beginning of the Word of God in verse 1 of chapter 1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So that's how this earth got here. Right? God created it. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And he divided the light from the darkness. In the beginning, before the dry land was brought forth, before the heavens, the atmosphere and the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and the creatures and man and before all of that, the Spirit of God was there. And he was, we looked up these words and talked about it, he was hovering. Over the face of the deep. And God spoke. And when the word of God was spoken and released. Why was the spirit of God there? Why was he hovering? Why? Well the spirit of God and the word of God. Are one. And work as one. And together. And when the word of God is spoken and released in faith. Then the spirit of God moves. We're talking about the moving of the Spirit. Are you interested in the moving of the Spirit? We should be. We should be hungry to learn and know and experience the moving of the Holy Spirit. Yes, in our services, but you don't have to wait for service time. You can experience the moving of the Spirit in your home. Right? In your car. At your place of work. And it's not all spectacular. There are many different ways the Spirit of God manifests Himself and moves. What we want to learn is how to cooperate with Him and how to yield to Him so that He moves more and more and more until we really do, instead of just talking and bandering titles around, we really do live a Spirit-filled life. You know, that terminology is used so loosely. Spirit-filled church, spirit-filled ministry, spirit-filled believers. And the truth is, many times, it's not spirit-filled. It's a lot of flesh. And just because you spoke in tongues in 1965 does not mean you live full of the Holy Ghost every day. In fact, Ephesians, the play on the Greek word there, it says, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and songs, the definition is, be ye being filled. It's a continuous thing. There is one initial filling of the Holy Spirit that there's supposed to be many refillings. Subsequent and following refillings. 
And uh, that doesn't mean you're trying to get saved all the time. No, of course not. Of course not. You're not even a candidate to be empowered with the Holy Ghost until you're born again. Now, it can happen <laughs> a split second. One, you can be born again, filled with the Spirit, split second later. But just because you were doesn't mean it's automatic that you live full and overflowing all the time. Uh, it's easy in this carnal world we live in to be fleshy and carnal and intellectual and miss the moving of the Spirit. And like we said before, you know, so many times people get in one ditch on the other. They either are dry and just intellectual and no moving of the Spirit or anything goes. And yeah, the Spirit of God moves sometimes, but every other kind of Spirit moves too. Like one fellow said, you know, in First John, he said, try the spirits. And he said, one fellow thought that was like Baskin Robbins. <laughs> try all the flavors. So they try in every spirit. Well, no, we don't want just everything moving. Right? We want the spirit of God moving. And every other kind of thing shut down. And uh, everybody has their idea and opinion about how things are supposed to be. But we see, you know, in the New Testament that he instructed that there was supposed to be order. Right? Writing the saints at Corinth that things should be done decently and properly and in order. So how many understand what we're talking about? We don't want to be dead. And we don't want to be wild and no control. But there is a truth. And there is a right division of the word. And there is a good understanding of the moving of the Spirit. Yes, Are you hungry for it? Yes, well, we must not be passive. We must not be, you know, indifferent and say, well, you know, that'd be nice if it happened. But, you know, whatever. No, that won't cut it. And it can't just be three people in the church that's hungry. If you have that, then those three hungry people, they'll have some moving of the Spirit at home. And the other 90, you know, uh, 9% of the people won't. But how many remember the scriptures talk about covet earnestly, the best gifts? Covet's a strong word, isn't it? I mean, we're warned about coveting people's stuff and coveting people's houses and things and spouses. I mean, we're warned about that severely. But here it turns around and says, covet this. Covet means have a strong, intense, compelling hunger and desire for it. You just get to the place where you say, I've got to have it. Right? I've got to have that. Now, you shouldn't be like that when it comes to that new car. i got to have that car. That car's calling my name. Me and that car's friends. I gotta have it. I gotta have that jewelry. I got to have that house. I got to have that. That's how people mess up. Getting dead over their head and mess themselves up and get to where they can't give and they can't sow and, right? The time to put God first is before you sign for those 300 easy payments. Right? Good news though. Even if you've just messed yourself up terribly, God will still have mercy on you and bail you out if you're willing to repent and if you'll come and admit it before him and ask him for help. But then, you know, we ought to learn something. 
and make some changes. Said out loud, I am hungry. I have a strong desire for the moving of the Spirit. Amen. Don't just say it in here tonight, but think about it tonight when you get home and and tomorrow and the next day. And say it out loud again in your home and in your car and say, Lord, I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for the move of your spirit, the true, real moving of your spirit. I'm hungry because those that are hunger and thirst after the right things of God, the Bible said they are the ones that get filled. Well, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians 2, and let's go on tonight learning about this. Ephesians 2 and 22. Ephesians 2, actually let's back up to verse uh, 20, uh, 18. It's all good. 18, uh, Ephesians 2, 18 says, Through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We have access by how? By one spirit. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. And you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Is the Lord building something? Yeah. Remember, he said on this rock, this revelation of Jesus Being the Christ, the Son of God, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So is he building his church? Not just a local church here or wherever, but the whole church, the whole body in every nation of the world. And how many know part of the church is already in heaven and part of the church here on the earth? And it's a big church, right? How many believers are already in heaven? Bunch of them. How many is on the earth worldwide? There's a bunch. And it's growing. Actually, the devil's very concerned about it. <laughs> He'd like for you to believe nothing's happening. But I'm telling you, the church is growing. People are getting saved. And not only that, people are finding out who they are in Christ. Right? And they're not letting the devil run their life. And they're rising up in their authority and they're learning how to pray. And they're learning how to believe God and live and walk by faith. Right? The devil's got serious problems. And it's only going to get worse for him. Right? He's losing this deal. It's already lost in the plan of God. And we're seeing it happen. You know, uh, he likes to, you know, present himself as such a bad dude. But... uh You know what he's going to be known throughout eternity as? The loser. I'm not just saying that to be funny. That is his claim to fame. Right? He's not just a loser. He's the biggest loser in eternity. The, capital T and capital L, the loser. So the next time he tries to tell you about how bad he is, you say, hey, I know who you are. You're the loser. Not just a loser, the loser. Right? I mean, what happens to him? Did you read the end of the book? (laughs) He loses. Big time. Everything. 
forever. How about you? Are you the loser or a loser? No, no, because you don't hook up with him and his bunch. You are actually more than a conqueror. You are a winner in him, Christ, who is the conqueror, the winner, the king of kings and lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah. And he's my lord and he's my friend. Say it out loud. He's my lord. And my friend. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you're on the winning side? I like to win, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Forget losing. No. Aren't you glad you don't have to? Do you remember he said he always causes us to? That's win. That's win. Win. You need to say it again one more time. I'm a winner. Close your eyes. Say it out loud. I'm a winner. The devil's a liar. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Jesus always causes me to win. Now see, the devil's a liar. He'll come and say, no, 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 no. You lost. It ain't over. You know, it's got to be frustrating for the devil. Because we don't have to play by his rules. We can change stuff on him in the middle of the deal. And there's nothing he can do about it. And this is how you are more than conqueror. No matter what the devil is able to pull in your life, you just get up and say, it ain't over. He goes, yeah, yeah, I won. Uh-uh. It ain't over. No. No, no. We're going to play until I win. He says, no, no, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, I can. It's written. He always causes me. Well, you can't always win. Yeah, I can. It's in the Bible. He'll say, no, 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 no. You win a few and you lose a few. And that's the way the old ball bounces. Everybody knows, no, I ain't bouncing the old ball. I'm a new creature in Christ. I got a new name. Right? Got a new song. Got new life. No, we win always. Now see, you got to renew your mind to this. Because your mind will jump in going, well, no, no, I've lost a button. Hush, it ain't over. You're still alive. God's still on the throne. Even when you're not breathing, it's not over. (laughs) Say it out loud. I win. win. Every time. time. That's all I do. I win. I'm not just trying to pump you up. This is reality in Christ. If you won't lay down and go, well, it's over. It's over. No, it ain't over. It ain't over. It'll look like it's over sometime. It'll feel like it's over sometime. But it's not over until you lay there and give up. My dad put me in the school of martial arts when I was 10. Because I kept getting beat up on the school bus. But now to be fair, it was six of them and one of me. And he thought I should be doing better. Well, this was an old school. This is back a number of years ago. And they practiced cement floors and no pads. And uh, 
I was sparring with a guy. I guess I was about, I don't know, 12, 13 by this time. This guy, man, he had a foot on me and 30 pounds. And he, man, he kicked the pudding out of me. <laughs> and I'm laying on the floor. And my instructor came. And I got up and I'm doing this. I actually uh, fractured a rib that night. But I'm doing this. And my instructor calls me over. And again, these guys are old school, man. I mean, he was trained by one of the grandsons of the founders from Okinawa. They were very strict. It helped me a ton. Helped me. You know, people think that they're doing their children a favor by never expecting or requiring anything of them and doing everything for them while they lay up on the couch and watch TV. That's preparing for a weak adult. No. And then people talk about how hard it was. Yeah, man, I had to walk in the snow and, and I had to cut the grass and, and I had to pick the corn. Well, it helped make you a man. Grow up, stand up, be something, do something. What do you expect to do? Lay around and snack all day? We got a whole generation. That's about all they do. And it's showing. It's showing many ways. And so here, he called me over. He said, stand up. I said, it hurts. <laughs> I'm 12 years old. And he said, I know it does. He said, stand up. I stood up. He said, when you let your opponent know that you're hurt, it encourages him. He said, what do you think he's going to do now? He's going to try to kick me in the ribs, ain't he? I said, he said, yeah, that's what he's going to go for. You've seen boxing before, right? Guy get a cut eye. What happens for the next several minutes? As far as the other guy's concerned, ain't nothing going on but working on that eye, right? <laughs> I said, that's mean. That's fighting. That's the way it is. You take advantage of your opponent's weakness. And so that helped me that day. I stood up, and even though it was hurting, I refused to give in to it. I refused to favor it. And I looked. The guy knew he kicked me as hard as he could. It took me down. But I just got up, and I shook it off, and I looked him in the eye like, is that it? Come on. And I saw his face kind of drain a little bit. And I learned something valuable that day. I fought for a number of years after that, and I learned, I don't care if you feel like the guy just broke half your bones. You get up, and I don't care if your lips busted and your nose, you get up, you wipe it off, and you go, is that it? Come on. Let's go. And, and, and the guy's thinking, that was my best shot. It didn't look like it phased him. Oh, you're feeling it, but you're not going to let him know it. And it discourage, it has the opposite effect. It discourages your opponent. Cause that was their best shot. Oh, do you know why I'm telling you all this? See the devil. I mean, he will do his dead level best on some things and you may find yourself laying on the floor with a bloody nose, but don't you lay there and whine and don't you get up and hold your nose? You get up and what do you say? Is that it? Right? And you despise your trial. You despise the symptoms. You despise the problems. You despise the need. And you glorify your God. You say, greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater. I always win. I'm more than a conqueror. Right? And the Lord told you that He will see to it that you win. Again. And again and again. 
Faith is not a place for whiny babies. Right? <laughs> some folk like it, some folk don't. <laughs> it's just a fact. You can't lay around and whine and get victories. You got to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You got to stand up and speak the word when you don't feel like it. You cannot lay down and pull the blinds and put a cool cloth on your head and give up. Y'all pray for me. I just am not doing so good. Well, you're giving us nothing to hook up with. We can't just do everything for you. We can hook up with you, but we can't hook up with that. Well, you got to hook up with me. Well, that means we all crawl in the bed and cry. Because that's what you're doing. And cry with you. No, you got to give us something else to hook up with. Right? Give us some faith. And in so doing, we're giving God something to work with. Here he goes on to say in Ephesians 2. He said, verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. The NIV says you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Well, you live in a house or an apartment, and while you live in there, it means you move in there, right? You move from room to room. You get up and you go here. You live there, so you move around in there. Well, who's supposed to be living in us? Who is living in us? God is building his house. And he doesn't just dwell in buildings made with men's hands. He's building his permanent house. And it's us. You and I are living stones in the house of God. And God is dwelling in us now by who? By his spirit. Well, the spirit lives in us. And so he moves in us. Amongst us. Right? You know, when you see people that's lost, you ought to think, Building materials. Because when this thing is finished, Jesus is coming back. When the last living stone is sealed into place by the Holy Ghost, then the Lord's coming back. He's waiting. What's he waiting on? James says the precious fruit. The harvest of people from the earth. Now, with that in mind, we talked last week about environment. Do you remember that? You hear, we talked about environment, and we saw how important that is. That in the right atmosphere, the right environment, the Spirit of God was moving, and we saw people who were mean people, even cruel people, come and get in that environment and start flowing in the Spirit. Right? Start prophesying. Saul, he sent his elite Teams, extraction teams from his military to go get David. And not once, not twice, three different teams failed to bring him back. Because when they got there where the prophet was and the atmosphere was so strong in the Holy Ghost. And they were prophesying. These guys laid their arms down and started prophesying. Happened three different teams. And you know that second and third team had told all the guys back home, we'll bring him back. But they didn't. 
And Saul went himself. He said, well, I guess if you're going to do anything, you got to go do it yourself. And he took his spear and his bolster and he went. And what happened to him? He starts prophesying before he gets there. The atmosphere, the environment, it was in a locale, in a place. And it was because there were so many people there that were minding the things of God and they were yielding to the Spirit of God and it provided an environment and an atmosphere where the Spirit of God moved freely. How many think every local church ought to be like that? And every Christian home ought to be like that, right? Well, the environment has so much to do with us. I mean, you think right now, what kind of environment is in your house? What kind of atmosphere is there? And who's responsible for that? Huh? Well, who's responsible for what is, uh, you know, the TV is on and the radio is on and the CDs or music that's being played? Who's responsible for that? You. So the sounds and whoever inspired, whoever wrote those shows, whoever wrote those songs, whatever spirits were inspiring them is being expressed. Good or bad. Who's responsible for that? Are. You are. It's your place. And in your car, right? And uh, who's responsible for the words that are spoken? In that house, whether people are kind to each other or whether they're mean to each other, whether they're speaking words of love and faith and building each other up and encouraging and helping each other or whether they're yelling and screaming and fighting and breaking furniture. Hmm. Who's responsible for that? I learned such a valuable lesson about this some years ago. I was working in uh, Brother Hagin's ministry at the healing school and uh, there was a young lady who had a small child a year I think less than a year old had been coming and this particular it was about this time later than this uh, and cool and I was it was the end of the day everything was already closed up and I was walking out to my car and this young lady came up out of the parking lot with her little child and she said I'm sorry brother Keith I've tried to get here for the service but uh, my baby's sick could you pray and I said yeah and I looked at the child, and well, you could tell the child was sick. Yeah, I mean, the little brow was so hot, and face was uh, flush, and, and you could just tell. He'd been crying and didn't feel good. And I started to lay my hands on the child. How many know, well, you don't even have to wonder about it. It's God's will for this baby to be healed. Right? No, you don't have to labor about this. You know, we got a lot of ignorance in the body of Christ. Because there are people... Learned people, even in some other ways, some very good people will tell you, well, now, Brother Keith, not always. It might not be God's will. No, you're wrong. Well, now, don't question God. Because uh, if it was God's will for them to be healed, then they'd all be healed. And they're obviously not all healed. So that shows that it's not God's will. For them all to be healed. Does it now? Well I reckon it's not God's will for all to be saved then. Right? Because if it was God's will for them all to be saved. Then they'd all be saved. Right? And they're not all saved. So I guess that proves. It's not God's will for everybody to be saved. So see some of the looks I'm getting across the crowd. 
It's either that way or not. Just because something happens or doesn't happen doesn't prove the will of God. God allows things that's not his perfect will. Why? We have a free will. We have something to do with it. Right? No, it's God's will for every baby to be healed. Right? And every adult for that matter. So I start to lay hands on this little one. And then the Lord checked me. Said, don't pray. I don't mean I heard a voice, but inside me, check me, don't pray. I thought, hmm, don't pray. Well, I know it's God's will to heal the baby. Don't pray. You know, sometimes we're too quick to try to release faith. And we don't even know what we ought to be believing for. We just decide something off the top of our head. You may know the will of God, but there are so many ways to get there. And we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And just like that, I knew in my spirit something with this young woman. I hadn't thought about it before, but it came up in word of knowledge is what it was. I knew something that I had no way of knowing except the Lord showed me. And I looked at her and I said, "Uh, you and your husband been having trouble. Man, she started crying like somebody had poked her with a pen or something. I mean, just boo-hooing and carrying on. And I said, that's all right, sister. There's help. She said, yeah, Brother Keith, awful. I said, well, I know it. And the Lord checked me. Don't pray for the child because it wouldn't do any permanent good. He said, the child could get help temporarily, but you're going to take the child back into that strife-filled environment. And the child would lose the progress no sooner than you brought it home. See, not only are there environments where it's easy for the Spirit of the Lord to move, but there's environments where it's easy for the enemy to move. Right? And there is no better atmosphere for the devil than strife. Strife is the manifest presence of the devil. Have you ever felt it? It's awful, isn't it? Have you ever felt? You know what I'm talking about? Strife? People at each other's throats? Man, it, You can come into a room where people have been fighting like that and not even know what they said. You can feel it. You can look at them. You can feel it. When you say you can feel it, do you know what I'm talking about or not? Have you ever felt it? Well, then what are you feeling? It's not atmospheric. It's not something you're just feeling on your skin. What are you feeling? It's spiritual. It's a manifestation of the enemy and destruction and work. His works, evil works, killing, stealing, destroying. Well, I said, this can be fixed, sister. I said, but if for no other reason, for your baby's sake, you guys get this fixed. Do what you've got to do, but get this strife out of your house and begin to praise God in your house and get the peace of God in your house and get pray in your house, right? Get the presence of God in your house. And in that environment, it closes the door to the enemy working and opens the door to God working. Now, don't throw this away. Don't let this get past you. This is one of the most important things you could learn in life. Strife is one of the enemy's favorite tools because it is so effective for him for destruction. Now, look at something here. Um. Go to the book of Acts, 
You did know that the book of Acts is the Holy Ghost book, right? And in fact, it do us good during this time to read the book of Acts while we're on this study, right? So I'm encouraging you to do that. But here he said in the book of Acts, you read about the Holy Ghost every page virtually. And did he move? As is recorded in the book of Acts. Can we learn something about the moving of the spirit. In the book of Acts. Is he the same today. Would it work the same today. Absolutely. Sometimes people talk about the early church. And then us. Well it's the same church. We're a part of the same church. But you'll find. In the book of Acts. The first chapter read if you would. We're going to go through a number of places. But in Acts 1 and 14, talking about Peter and James and John and Jesus' closest disciples there, verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. They continued how? In one accord. In prayer. You'll find this phrase. The Greek words that are translated into English. One accord. About a dozen times. Just in this one book. Depending on which words you look at. But that's enough to emphasize isn't it? One accord. One accord. Go to the second chapter. You know it. But let's remind ourselves of it. 2 verse 1. What does it say? The day of Pentecost was fully come. What? They were all with one accord in one place. Now, how many know you could all be in the same place and not be in one accord? Huh? I mean, like one preacher said years ago, he said you could tie two cats' tails together and hang them across a clothesline. And they're together. But that doesn't mean there's unity. I said, that's animal abuse, brother. I didn't say I did it. I said the fellow used it as an expression. Relax. But it paints a picture now, doesn't it? Some people are tied together in marriage. But does that assure unity? No. They can be fighting like cats and dogs. Right? Is it okay? No, it's not okay. People make excuses for it. They say, well, you know, everybody has some problems, you know, sometime. And they make excuses. And people live in such low levels. And it's amazing how a lot of folk, they dress up nice and they come to church and they put on a pretty good face. But they mean as the devil at home. You know what I mean by that? I mean, they're mean. Boy, the way they talk to each other. Well, that's just us. We are, No, it's not okay. Amen. You try to excuse it, but it's not. Well, that's just how we are. Well, you need to change. Sometimes you have generations of this. People grew up in their house. They yelled at each other. Their parents yelled at each other. Well, that's just us. We're just, we're Italian. We're Hispanic. We're Irish. We're the, no, you're Christian. Yeah. Amen. Now forget this other. Hmm? And have the kind of home that Jesus wants you to have. Hmm? 
You don't see him yelling and screaming at the disciples and them having to blow out every other day and then hugging and getting over it. Huh? Well, Brother Keith, that's just how we are. Well, like I said, you need to change. You can have peace in your house every day and every night, day after day after day, week. You can go months and no harsh, hard words. People say, oh, I don't know, brother. Be a believer. All things are possible, right? To him or her that believes. Tell me, is it possible or not? Did Jesus do it? How many times did he blow up and get in the flesh and cuss out his disciples? How many times? Not even one. Hmm? How many times was he having pressure from the Pharisees and doctors of the law and he come back and jumped on his staff and chewed them out for no reason and then had to come back and say, guys, I'm sorry. I'm just having a rough day. How many times? None. Not even once. (laughs) Yeah, but Brother Keith, that's Jesus. I know. But he didn't do that as God. He did it as a man proving to us it can be done. As a human. As a man, as a woman. It can be done. Now if you blow it, if you mess up, that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Repent. But don't make allowances. Have zero tolerance for it. Don't say, well, you know, I used to blow up every day and now I'm down to three blow ups a week. So praise God. No. No, no blow-ups per week. None. I had a pastor. A pastor should know better than this. Tell me one time, well, Brother Keith, he's getting into this involved spiritual explanation. He said, Brother Keith, I think that's why God gave us our spouses. Because we got all this pressure from the people and churches and the ministry and we have to act right. But then we could go home and Explode on each other. (laughs) Absolutely not. No. 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 (laughs) Now, I'm not just talking about being nice at home. I'm talking about how to keep the devil out of your house. I'm talking about how to keep your kids well. I'm talking about how to get your bills paid. Right? This is not just about being nice. In case the pastor comes by and checks on you while you're home. In case one of the church members walks up on you in the garage and you didn't know they were there. I mean, no. No. Hold your place here. Go to 1 Peter 3, please. We're talking about, instead of having... The moving of the devil in our house, having the moving of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Well, God is love. So what kind of atmosphere are you going to find the Spirit of God moving in? Love and faith. And when he's manifested, what's it going to be like? Remember the fruit of the Spirit? 
When he's moving, what you going to sense? What you going to experience? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Right? Well, what if you're experiencing out of control and impatience and temper unbridled and strife? That's not the spirit moving. Not the Holy Spirit. That's the wrong spirit. That's the enemy. Right? Say it out loud. I don't want the enemy in my house. Well, who's it up to? As to what kind of environment, what we talk about, what we do, how we treat each other, and what we watch, and what we play. We have been desensitized by all the junk on TV. A lot of Christians, 50 years ago, would have got up and walked out of a theater that was playing stuff that shown on the family show today. Did you hear me? Did God lower his standards? No. No. But it's like the story about the frog in the water. If you heat it up slowly, he didn't notice it and sit there and boil. Well, that's the enemy's plan. Change it here and change it there and change it here. And, you know, oh, well, you know, most everything's got some of that in it nowadays. And, oh, well, you know, you have a few cuss words here and there. And, oh, well, and, oh, well. Listen to this. The Lord said this to me years ago. I wrote it down. Tolerance is the first step toward conformity. Tolerance. What is tolerance? That doesn't mean that you're embracing it. But what does it mean? You allow it. Right? To go. To be there in your place. And what did the Lord say to me? I just quoted to you. It's a first step towards what? When you allow it, what did you just do? You took a step toward becoming that. I didn't say you were that right now, but you took a step towards it. It works that way. So people can call us goody goody. They can call us holier than thou if they want to. But if you want to have the Holy Ghost moving instead of something wrong, you have to be intolerant. Towards stuff that is anti-God. Right? And crosswise of the word. And vulgar. And ungodly. All you got to do is notice. If it bothers your spirit. Get away from it. Don't make yourself go through it. Right? And as a result. You'll be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now you know. I'm not talking about three or four people here tonight. All of us. Need to look at this. Why? Because we are inundated with promiscuity and vulgarity and all kind of all around us, all around us. Right? Have you noticed? And if we say, well, you know, it's everywhere and you allow it, you're allowing stuff in your house. And the problem is if you become used to it and don't realize how much of the enemy is manifesting around you? Oh, the Holy Spirit is pure. He's clean. Isn't he? Of all the words the Lord could have used to describe him, the one you see again and again is holy, 
Holy, what does that mean? It's not a religious word. That was around before there was religion. Holy means pure, clean, separate from all that is defiling and evil and wrong. Said out loud, the Holy Spirit lives in me. He sanctifies me. Thank you, Lord. Did you find First Peter? First Peter 3. We were referring to this, but I just wanted you to see this in the scripture. What a big deal this is. It's not just about you being nice at home. It's about getting your prayers answered. It's about getting your needs met. Right? In First Peter 3, he told the wives in verse 1 to be in subjection to their husbands. In verse 7, likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Is he telling us how to treat each other? He said, give honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Well, that sure wouldn't include slapping your wife around. That wouldn't include cussing your husband out. Right? Now, what's the next phrase? The last part of the verse. What? Why would he say that? Huh? That you, wives treat your husbands like this. Husbands treat your wives like this. And he ends it up by saying that, or in other words, so that your prayers won't be hindered. Well, then if husbands and wives don't treat each other right, you understand from this that your prayers will be hindered. What would that mean? Your prayers hindered. Not answered. Right? You don't see things. I didn't realize it, but that's what the Lord was telling me out there in the parking lot that day with that young lady. I mean, I could pray, but that's going to be hindered. Right? If she takes this child back into this house and they fuss and fight all night and scream and yell at each other. And this child is living in strife. Living. See, we haven't digressed now. We're talking about environment. We're talking about what you live in. The atmosphere. Oh, every child ought to have the opportunity to grow up in a house full of love and peace. Right? And every family ought to have the enjoyment. Even if you're out in some stuff that's not too hot when you're trying to do your business, you ought to be able to come home to a refuge. Can you say amen? Now, watch this. If you say, well, yeah, I've been trying to tell them that's what they're supposed to provide for me. No, no, no. You do your part. Right? You do your part. Not what other folk are supposed to provide for you. You help provide it. And if everybody's doing their part, controlling their flesh, then we're not going to have these big blowout fights. Did you know you can catch yourself in mid-sentence? You can get worked up about something. And you're just about to tell somebody where to get off and you're going to give them a piece of your money. So I, well, I'll tell you one thing. God loves you. (laughs) And I do too. And I'm going to go pray. We can finish this up. Did you hear me? Isn't that better than Saying a bunch of stuff that the enemy is able to express uh, hate and 
strife and mess up your atmosphere of your home and open the door to him working. It is. Have you ever been in an intense discussion with somebody? And uh, some things come up to your mind and you know if you say that, (laughs) it's going to cause trouble. But have you ever felt that push to say it? Have you? It's real, isn't it? It's this, I mean, it's like, you gotta say it. I, I gotta, I gotta, why? Why you gotta say it? You know what that push is? It's the enemy. Why? Cause he knows it'll break something in a bad way. It'll break down this discussion. He knows if he can get you to say that, it's gonna trigger this thing. Could take you weeks to get over. And then he can move in your house. Can you see why there's so much strife? Strife at home, strife at the workplace, and in churches. Oh, dear me. I mean, you've got churches, thousands and thousands of churches that can't grow over 50 people because they'll split. Why? Because people get into it over something. We think the piano ought to be on the right side, (laughs) not the left. Just think about the word right. Right is right. (laughs) Churches have actually split over stuff like that. And there's going to be people answer before the Lord. At the judgment seat of Christ. Because they're the ones that pushed it. And uh, you got so many. Huddlers. Anybody know what a huddler is? Well. Y'all ready for this or not? Go to Proverbs. (laughs) I'm already sweeping under the rug here. I might as well get behind the door. Right. And just go ahead and. Clean this thing up. Uh, Proverbs 6. Do you agree that strife is a bad thing? These are not just my words. We talk about strife being the manifest presence of the devil. How many remember James? Where he said, where envy and strife is, there's what? There's confusion. Is God in confusion? No. In fact, 1 Corinthians says he is not the author of confusion. Actually, the word author is added. It just literally says he's not in it. God's not in confusion. Well, then who would it be? Where there is envy and strife, there is confusion and there is every evil work. Well, that's what the Lord said to me in another phrase. Strife is the manifest presence of the devil. Oh, it's bad stuff. It's about as bad as it gets. And from that time, I, it came into my spirit with such impact that I called a staff meeting, and this was years ago, and man, to this day, we have zero tolerance for strife. In the church, in the staff, I mean zero. Why? Because as leaders, we're responsible if we let the devil just manifest. 
and affect the environment of this place. See, a lot of times people don't know why, but they know something's not right. And do you understand, if Phyllis and I are fighting like cats and dogs, and the staff is at each other's throats, and the volunteers are, I don't care how we try to dress up and act, you'll be able to feel it in this place. You can't hide it. Right? It's like atmosphere. It is spiritual atmosphere. So there's only one solution. Get it out. Right? And if people are not willing to keep it out, then they have to go. That's not my words. That's Proverbs. Says if the scorner won't quit, you have to put them out. Thank God we hadn't had much trouble along that line. People generally want to, uh, want to get the strife out instead of them getting out. But it is so important. Said out loud, zero strife. Zero strife. No, tolerance no tolerance for strife. strife. Now notice this in Proverbs. What did I tell you? That's right. Proverbs 6. Man, this is really some strong words here in Proverbs 6. We need to hear it. It's the Lord talking. Proverbs 6. And verse uh, 12 says, a naughty person, a wicked man, walks with a froward mouth. He winks with his eyes. He speaks with his feet. He teaches with his fingers. Frowardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He sows what? Uh I quoted that to you, but I should have read some of that to you. Hold your place there and go to James, where I was quoting that. Hold your place. Proverbs, we're not through with that. Go to James. I want you to see for yourself how this uh, connects. James, chapter 3. James 3.14. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts... Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and what? Devilish. Devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is what? Is what? Sown. Sown in peace of them that make peace. What did it say in Proverbs the guy was sowing? Discord. But righteous people sow what? They sow peace. Godly wisdom. And peace. A lot more to sowing and reaping than offering time, isn't it? Sowing. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want any testimonies. But do you suppose that you ever sowed any peace? Do you suppose you ever sowed any discord? Go back to Proverbs now. Let's read the rest of this. People are sowing these things. Proverbs 6, verse 14 said, he sows discord. Verse 15, what will happen then? Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Man, that's strong. 
Who's going to be broken suddenly and can't be fixed? Without remedy means there's no cure. There's no fix. Who? Sowers of discord. How many are seeing already? This is something you do not want to do. Verse 16, he explains. These six things does the Lord what? Man, that's strong. That's as strong as you can say it. The Lord hates this what? Seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. A lying tongue. How many know God hates pride? And he hates lying. And there's a reason why these two are together again and again. That's why people lie. Pride. Trying to impress people. Trying to hide their mistakes from people. See, religion teaches us that everybody does it and we're just to show compassion. But the Bible said God hates it. How strong is that? He absolutely hates it. And we're not to say, well, we're just human and, you know, sometimes you lie. Everybody lies. No, everybody doesn't lie. I said, no, they don't. Now, probably everybody in this room has, but you don't have to. You can go year after year and not tell a lie. Did you hear me? You can. Everybody said out loud, I am not a liar. You and your word are inseparable. Sometimes you hear people say, well, so-and-so, they're a good brother, but you got to watch them. They'll lie to you. Well, then they're not a good brother. Lying is whose language? The Bible said that Satan is a liar and he is the father of it. So when you tell a lie, you are speaking his language. Well, then who's moving in your life? Who's manifesting? The devil is. I'm telling you. It's one of the biggest things you can do in your life to come out and to get victory and to get help. Make up your mind. You don't care what it costs you. You're going to stand up and be a man, be a woman of God, look folk in the eye and tell them the truth. And believe God for mercy and grace and favor. Right? Because the scripture also says that uh, if you cover your sin. It's going to cost you. You'll come to a bad end. But if you'll confess and forsake it, you'll have mercy. Who gets mercy? The liars or the people who tell the truth? Only the people that tell truth. We've been seeing this on Sunday mornings. God does what with the proud? He resists them. Who gets the grace? Not the proud. Not the liars. Who gets grace and mercy? The humble and the truth tellers. Say it one more time. I am not a liar. I I tell the truth. truth. No matter what. what. I'm going to make a very strong statement now. And I want you to think about it. I love the truth. More than anything or anybody. Period. That's as big a statement as I can make. I said, Brother Key. You're supposed to love Jesus. That's what I just got through saying. He said, I am the way. What? The truth. We're supposed to love the word, Brother Key. That's what I just said. It's called the word of truth. Supposed to love the Holy Ghost. He's called the spirit of truth, right? I love the truth more than my own life. Why am I here tonight? 
I don't have anything to say to you apart from this truth. Right? My whole life is based on this. Whether I eat or I don't, or I'm protected or I'm not, or my bills are paid or not, it's all this, and this is Him. The Word made flesh, shed His blood and bought our salvation. The truth, the truth, the truth, and God hates a lie. Can you see that? Well, I certainly do not want to be involved in anything that God hates. Keep reading. Proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies. That's the second time of saying that. Lie, a different way of lies. So two of this seven is lie about lying. And what's the last one? He that sows discord. Among the brethren. I've seen this in ministries. I've seen this in churches. I've seen this in families. I call them huddlers. You know what a huddlers are? Well, you got something going on. And people are supposed to be fellowshipping and having fun. And these guys huddle over in a corner. And whisper. Have you seen it? Huddlers. Whisperers, and what they're doing is they're talking about somebody. Something negative. And you know what that is? That's planting a seed, right? And sometimes you don't have to say all that much. Somebody said, well, what about so-and-so? You can just say, I don't know about them. What'd you do? You planted a seed. Well, why would Brother Key say that? I've, uh, over the years, I've had to grow in this. Cause I'll be out on the road and I have a lot of minister friends and pastor friends and people ask me about so, what about so and so? You know, I thought about having him come in for a meeting. What about so and so? And if I say, well, you know, they're okay. Then they decide not to have him come. Well, you didn't say anything? Yeah, I did. If I just said, you know, I have to watch what I say. You look at them and say, how much stock are they putting in my words? Did you hear me now? And if I leave some kind of a question mark impression and they didn't have a meeting and the people in the meeting didn't get saved and didn't get help, where does that come back? I say, yeah, you better watch it, Brother Keith. No, you better watch it too. It works exactly the same way with you in every area of life. And people so, oh, it's happening all the time. They huddle and they whisper. And what do you think about that? I don't know. I didn't like that. I just don't think that's right. I wonder about that. And, and it doesn't seem like overt stuff, but it's a seed. And it starts taking root and it starts growing and gnawing at people. And, and then they talk. God hates it. Can you see this? He hates it. We don't have it around here, do we? Why? Because we have zero tolerance. (laughs) Right? For it. And you and I don't want to be involved in anything that God despises and hates and calls an abomination to Him. I mean, that's strong. Isn't that strong? Nope, nope, nope. We don't sow discord. What do we sow? 
we sow peace and we sow love and we sow faith. Right? And even there are times that you may have to say something negative in a situation. But there are ways to say it. And there's wisdom. And you don't have to, you know, let me tell you this about ministers and people in general. You don't measure people by their knowledge or by their doctrine. You measure a man by his heart. By his spirit. Right? I know some people that, man, on some doctrinal points, we are as far apart as the North and South Poles. But I love them. They're good people. They got good heart. And who says I'm right about everything? Nobody you know, including you, is right about everything. Because you don't know it all. And it's those parts you don't know that can leave some holes. Right? In your understanding. So do you hear what I'm saying? You don't measure people or groups or churches just by their doctrine and just by what they say and know. It's their heart. I said it's their heart. It's their heart. And a whole lot of times when somebody's pushing you about something, you just need to say, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know that. I don't know them that well. I don't know that area. Right? And then leave it at that. And then sow some peace. Because the Bible says love is ever ready to believe the best. Right? If you walk in love the way God has told us to, people will think you're naive. And that will bug your pride, but that needs to be crucified anyway. <laughs> See, your pride of your flesh wants to say, nobody gets anything off me. Yeah, I got discernment. <laughs> yeah, you got the gift of suspicion. <laughs> Nobody gets anything over on me. I catch it. I catch it. I say, no. If you're really walking by love, somebody come up and slap you in the face and you'll go, whoa, whoa, did you slip? You slip. And your hand fell across my face. Did I said, just being naive. The Bible said, be simple concerning evil. And you're always ready to believe the best about people. Make them prove you're wrong many times over before you consent to it. You see what I'm saying? Well, would you hear what so and so? Well, they may have repented by now. They may have it all fixed up by now. They may be right with God and be in better shape than you are. How do you know what's happened between them and God in the last five minutes? Right? Do not be a huddler, whisperer, discord sower. Are you with me now? Hallelujah. Go back to Acts 2 and I think we can close somewhere around here. Are we still talking about the moving of the Spirit? Hmm? How would we be? Well, where do we see him moving? Read it again. Acts 2, 1, what? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all what? They were all miffed at each other. (laughs) They were bent out of shape. Huh? They were going through mediation. Huh? 
They were embroiled in doctrinal debate. Then you wouldn't have this story, now would you? You think if they'd all been bickering and fussing and fighting, we'd have the same story? No, elsewise, why would he specifically say they were all in one place and how were they? Now get that, we're going to be seeing this again and again. The definition of one accord is literally same mind. Same mind. They were thinking about the same things, which was God and the risen Savior and the Holy Ghost on the way. Right? And they, their priorities were the same. Nobody had something more important to do. They're hanging out here just like the Lord told them. And they're praying. Right? They're all on the same page. Weren't they? Do you remember what was it? Genesis 11 or so when they were going to build the Tower of Babel? Is that what it, you remember that? And the Bible said they were all one language. They all spoke the same thing. And God said, because they were trying to do something apart from him and away from him. And he said, nothing that they've imagined will be restrained from them. Because they're one. They are united in this thing. And he had to go down and change your languages. I think the devil learned something that day. He's not a creator. I think he saw that and figured out how he could use that. And twist that around. He saw that if people are not together, they can't get it done. Did you hear me now? And so he has taken that and tried to pervert it and use it for his purposes to keep people separated. Now I have not digressed. I'm telling you. If we want to see a strong move of the spirit. We got to come in here. And get on the same page. Don't we? You know if everybody's forehead was a TV screen. And you could see on it what they were thinking. It'd be a terrible distraction for us preachers. <laughs> we like to imagine that everybody's with us. Oh, brother. The stuff that you would see on people's foreheads. They're thinking about everything under the sun. Everything from how somebody's dressed or I had one lady come up to me after service one day. She said, you know, I couldn't get a thing out of your message today. I said, you couldn't? She said, no, you had a string on your pants. (laughs) I looked down. It was a little bitty white string. I said, that? She said, yeah. (laughs) So what's on her mind? A string. (laughs) That's sad now. Isn't it? In a little story I had one time, a lady come up to me after a message. Well, now, excuse me, before that, it was an interruption in the service. Uh, I had uh, used a double negative for like the third time. And she was a teacher. And she yelled out in the service, oh, no. I just disrupted. I had to think, what, what am I doing here? What do you mean? What? Oh, no. She said, that's a double negative. I said, a double what? <laughs> What's her mind on? Huh? Grammar. Grammar. Well, then it's not on God. 
If your mind's on a, do you see what I'm, I'm painting a picture now? This one's mind's on a string. This one's mind's on a double negative. This one's mind's on fried chicken. This one's mind <laughs> is on what time does the restaurant close. This one's mind is on how long, much longer is he going to preach? Hmm? And if you got that scattered over the whole bunch, do you have one accord? You got anything but. Instead of one accord, you got thousand accord. Everybody is in different places. Oh, but I've been in services. We've been in a few here where we, a few people begin to get on the same page, at least. Oh, but nothing like what we can. You can sense it. You can sense it when everybody begins to be of one mind, one accord, focused on God and on the same thing. You can sense the Holy Ghost presence begin to manifest and begin to come up. To be spiritual, you must develop powers of concentration. Any little thing distract you and you let your mind wander all over the place and bounce off the walls. It's because you're a spiritual baby. Immature. You know, little ones' attention spans are about this long. Right? Well, you're not supposed to be a little infant spiritually. We're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to be able to check everything at the door and come in here and focus. And say, God, here we are. While we're here, we're yours. 100%. Our minds on you. Our eyes are on you. Our ears are open to you. Our hearts are open to you. And you get a room full of people doing that. You think God won't show up? He won't manifest? He won't talk? He will. He will. We won't take the time to do it, but page after page, like we said a dozen times through here, one place, one mind, one accord, then you see miracles, signs, wonders, the house shook, God spoke, missionaries, uh, ministries launched. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God was talking and moving and it was in this environment of one accord. Do you see this? Say it out loud. One mind. One accord. One place. Hallelujah. See, that ought to be one of the big reasons for us even coming to church. Right? I mean, a whole lot of stuff you can do at home by yourself. But this you can't do by yourself. Right? But it defeats the purpose of us gathering together if we're splintered. Our minds all over the place. All kind of things. Part of it's growing up. Developing and growing up. And we're, you know, as a church, we're just three years old. It's not all that old. But God's doing a quick work, how many would believe. And we can become focused. Now, these Friday nights are in transition. They're going to begin to change. Did you hear me now? We're not just talking about this. When we come and teach on wisdom, what do we do? We get wisdom. That was our last series. And and when we come talk about the moving of the Spirit, what do we have? We have the moving of the Spirit. I hadn't taken the time to get into it, but we will as the Lord leads us. One thing you see them doing is praying in one accord. And praising 
in one accord. And sometimes it takes more than five or ten minutes with that. Did you hear me? So we come in here next Friday night and I hit my knees and go to praying up there. What do you do? Pray. What if I pray the whole time? Then we pray. And what are we looking for? All of us to get on the same page with God. Right? And when we do that, then the environment is right for him to move. We may throw up our hands and start worshiping God. Worship God for an hour. Hmm? What do you do? Stand around, look at your watch. And go, when's he going to teach? He may not. Right? Are you with me now? But see, we've got to overcome this splintered condition. Look at this one in closing. We'll read this one more. You're there in the second chapter. Look at the fourth chapter. The fourth chapter, verse 23. Being let go, they went to their own company. They had a place where they belonged. A family of believers. And they reported to the leaders uh, all that the chief priests and elders had said. And when they heard that, they, they referring to who? That's the whole bunch. They did what? Lifted up what? Their voice to God. How? With one accord. Now let's read that out loud together. Verse 24. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Now this ain't Deacon Brown leading prayer. Everybody. Lifted up their voice. Well now how can everybody be praying out loud at the same time and be in one accord? In your heart. You don't have to say exactly the same words. But your heart can be on the same page. Right? And they begin to pray. It tells part of their prayer. And they wound it up in verse 29 by saying, Lord... Behold their threatenings and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word and stretch forth your hand to heal. Well, what if it's not his will? Man, they forgot to put that in there. And that signs and wonders would be done by the name of your holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Was the spirit moving? I reckon so. The building is a shaking. (laughs) Are they having a moving of the spirit around that place? Is he the same today? Has he changed? Has God's will changed? Has his ways changed? How did this start? Don't just look at the shaking back up. How did it start? How did it get there? They lifted up their voice in one accord. And they're praying. They say like a house of fire in there. Everybody, nobody's looking around. Nobody's eating popcorn in the back. Nobody's clipping their nails on the side. Nobody's chatting, you know, about something else. And listen, how many know it's not all right for youth to sit in the back and talk about stuff? Youth, well, they're just young. Well, they're too young to serve God. Everybody lifted their voice and prayed out loud to God. And God 
manifested himself in that place. Everybody in there knew the Spirit of God is real and moving. Can you say amen? Stand on your feet. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.